This program contains adult themes not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. He was so afraid of our dad that he would blame things on me. And then he would sit there and watch my dad beat the crap out of me. He would pick me up by my hair, throw me across the living room. And my brother stood in the doorway and watched and did nothing. I asked so many people for help. And instead of them helping me, they would turn around and tell my dad. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the fourth episode of At Death's Door. I just want to start off by saying sorry for the little hiatus that I had. I went on a girl's trip at the beginning of July, and I'm just now starting to get back into the swing of things. But before we get into today's case, I wanted to remind everybody to please give us a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify to help support our show. And you can also give us a follow on Instagram, at Death Store Podcast. Now, without further delay, let's get into today's episode. all would love to believe that the justice system is on our side. We have blind faith that people who do bad things will one day, hopefully, get exactly what is coming to them. Good people with the right intentions should be rewarded with freedom and live a long, happy life, knowing that they did all they could to live righteously. But that is not always the case. And lines between right and wrong get blurred when everyday people decide to take the law and order into their own hands. Who gets to determine when vigilante justice is no longer just? Omaha is the largest city in Nebraska. This beautiful city is the perfect mixture of country and city life with gorgeous lakes and country lands mixed with fast-paced metropolitan areas. This fast-growing city is the perfect place to raise a family with lots of nature and great opportunities to start a career and have a fulfilling social life. For most people, Omaha is a perfect place to live. The latest update on last weekend's homicide. Crews were called to the area of 43rd and Pickney around 11.15 last Saturday morning, where a caller reported finding a body and shell casings. Now, when crews arrived, they did find a man dead from gunshot wounds. We'll have more on this story tonight on 3 News Now at 6. On May 14, 2020, police arrive at a home located on the northeast side of Omaha, on North Pickney Street. A man lays dead in the doorway of his home. There are seven bullet hole wounds on this victim, entering his back and his chest with one bullet piercing the victim's forehead. The TV is still on in the living room and it seems like his home was frozen in time. It was determined that this 64-year-old man was gunned down by a 9mm semi-automatic rifle. Dead, just laying there. Uh, door was wide open. Um, my dad was just lying there. Couldn't believe this happened, you know. I mean, all these years he's lived here and just all of a sudden out of the blue, just somebody come up, do something like that. The guy didn't know my dad. He didn't know anything about him. All he knew was, you know, uh, stuff that he's seen online. It was hard to be around him. The accusations, uh, what he went through, what he did. You know, he's a grown man, you know. He, sh- he should be accountable for the things he did 100%, yes. 
Um, but at the same time, was this the right way for him to go? I, I don't believe so. This victim was soon identified as Matteo Condolucci, a 64-year-old man who had been living at his home for several years. Matteo had three children, two sons, and a daughter that now goes by the name Amanda Henry. After the news broke of her father's death, a deeper and darker truth started to emerge. Saturday morning, Omaha police respond to a shooting at a home near 43rd and Pinckney. 64-year-old Matteo Condolucci is found dead inside. Condolucci is a registered sex offender and served a five-year prison sentence for sexually assaulting a child in 2006 in Sarpy County and was also convicted in Florida of a similar crime in 1993. He got probation in that case. The killer knew about Condolucci's past crimes against children and saw him staring at kids playing near his home. It later says the killer worked with kids for years that have been victimized couldn't allow Condolucci to do it to anyone else. The mother of one of Condolucci's child victims started a Facebook page in 2016 to make people aware of what they say is a predator that moved from state to state, preying on single mothers to get his hands on child victims. In a written response, Lisa Smith, the mother of one of Condolucci's child victims, who lives out of state, says, quote, I feel an overwhelming sense of relief he is dead. I lay in bed too many nights wondering whose life he is destroying now. I know now he isn't hurting any more children and their loved ones. Sexual abuse does not just affect the victim. The Omaha Police Department wouldn't comment, saying the investigation is ongoing. When news broke that the murder victim was a seasoned child sex offender, this did bring some relief to people who knew Matteo Condalucci. Some of these people being his own daughter, Amanda Henry. My dad's gone, um, and I found out that he had actually lived about three or four blocks from me this whole time. Um, I've been in my home for almost nine years, and I had no idea that he lived within a four-block radius of me. The last time I spoke with him was shortly after he was arrested um, in uh, Nebraska, for the child molesting on a 12-year-old girl. How did you feel when you heard the news of his death? Um, I was relieved. I was very relieved. I have been afraid of him all my life. I, I was relieved. In a 2020 interview, Amanda describes her life growing up and what it felt like living with her father, Mateo. I think hell would have been a better place to live. Every day, it was the question of, am I going to get beat? Is he going to touch me? What's going to happen today? Uh, I didn't know if he was going to sell me off to somebody. Um, I was terrified. I, I thought about running away. I thought about just killing myself. I prayed every single night, God, take me. But he wouldn't. And it's been very hard. <laughs> So when this happened, I, I couldn't have been more thankful. I have three children that I have to worry about. I have three beautiful children. I knew that I had to keep them safe and away from him. I knew what kind of person he was, is. The things I've seen are horrible. No human being should ever have to see them or, or live them. Amanda describes her father as physically and sexually abusive. 
with her mom no longer living in the family home and only two brothers that were also children, you can only imagine the dark, helpless feeling Amanda felt as a young child, trapped in a hellhole that's supposed to be called home. I remember occasions where he would sit there and tell me that I would have to do these things for him because he bought me presents and Christmas presents and stuff. And I would tell him, I, I don't want him. I don't want him. Take him back. I don't want him. And he would tell me, no, I can't take them back. They're yours now. And you have to do this for me. This is a favor and I need you to do it for me. No, I don't want to. And the more I fought and I told him no, the more he made it hurt. The more he destroyed me, he would pin me to the bed. He would tell me things like, if my mother asked me to do this, I would do it for her because that's what family's for. No, that's not what family's for. He was supposed to protect me, and instead he hurt me. My brother, he would sit there and, and watch my dad do these things to me, and he would do nothing. He was too afraid. He would say he was too afraid. He's four years older than me. Um, my, my dad tried to reach out and grope him one day, and my brother, naturally, he recoiled and he covered himself. And my dad looked at him and said, what, I can't touch you? And my brother was like, no. My dad's like, well, Amanda will let me touch her, won't you? You'll let me play with your boobs, won't you? And I looked at my brother. I, I looked at him. I was terrified. And all he did was look back at me and shrug his shoulders like, meh, whatever. He didn't do anything. He was so afraid of our dad that he would blame things on me. And then he would sit there and watch my dad beat the crap out of me. Amanda was always the target of the abuse. With one sibling that was just as scared of their father as her, it seemed like her brother didn't really know what to do. Trapped in a house with a monster and no way to escape. These were just children after all. He was so afraid of our dad that he would blame things on me. And then he would sit there and watch my dad beat the crap out of me. He would pick me up by my hair, throw me across the living room. There was an occasion I came home from school and I didn't know he had mopped the kitchen. And I walked in with my shoes and he grabbed me by my hair. He threw me face first into the counter. And then he proceeded to stomp on my face with his boots. And my brother stood in the doorway and watched and did nothing. I asked so many people for help. And instead of them helping me, they would turn around and tell my dad that I was telling him these things as if I was a troubled child who, who was just trying to make up lies or something. And then when they would leave, it was so brutal, so painful. I've lost friends because of him. He's picked me up by my throat and thrown me over a couch in front of a friend and I never saw her again. I wasn't allowed to spend the night at my friend's house. They would have to spend the night with me. And then he would put tape recorders in my bedroom to see what we were saying. 
to make sure I wasn't telling them so I could ask for help in hopes that they would tell their parents. Instead, they just left. They didn't help. (laughs) Mateo was a former bartender before he became an informant for the ATF, also known as the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. With ties to local biker gangs, Amanda was forced to be around other strange men. Mateo fit the mold of these gangs. He was a huge man, six foot three, and weighed 370 pounds, tattoos, and a handlebar mustache. He already looked like a pretty intimidating guy. Mateo would often use Amanda as a scapegoat, offering her to men as collateral when things went awry. He was a snitch for um, the ATF. And one year in Colorado, I think I was seven or eight years old, and they caught him, and they told him that they were going to take his bike from him to teach him a lesson. He was on the phone with them, and I came in the house to grab ice water. And I heard him begging and pleading, please don't take my bike. Take my daughter, but don't take my bike. He tried to give me to them as payment because he cares more about his bike. He, um, when I finally moved out, when I finally moved out, he would stalk me through my friends. He went to the extent of showing up my best friend's parents' house. And he ranted and he raved and they actually had to call the police on him. He wouldn't leave. He was making threats and they would tell him, I'm not telling you anything. I'm not telling you where she's at. The cops would show up. They would tell him, you need to leave. You need to leave these people alone. You need to quit trying to find her. They're not going to tell you. Nobody's going to tell you. That was the most help I got from the police was them telling him to just leave me alone. That was the most help they gave me. I I wanted to die for the longest time. And many times I tried to, and it didn't work. I've had to live in fear for 34 years. And it has been the worst pain that I could imagine. And so when I finally got the phone call, yes, I I was relieved. I couldn't wait to have him cremated. I couldn't. And I know that sounds horrible, but he took my life and many other lives before he died. We might still be living, but when you molest and rape children and your own child, You automatically took their lives. Yes, we're alive, but we're not the same human beings that we should have been. We're not happy all the time. We're constantly finding ways to block out memories, to keep people at distances. We have trust issues. We're left with a black hole. We hear this time and time again. Victims of child sex abuse rarely get justice. They are just left living their whole life broken and destroyed, while the predators are left with a slap on the wrist and the freedom to wreak havoc on innocence. 
In the vast majority of cases where there is credible evidence that a child has been penetrated, only between 5 and 15% of those children will have genital injuries consistent with the sexual abuse. This makes the crime even harder to detect and prosecute. I'm not at all saying I agree with murder, but when you've been violated so many times and the justice system has failed you as many times as it's failed me, that's the only thing you could hope for. And I'm not saying go out and, and, and murder your nearest pedophile, but I am saying do your research. Keep your kids close. How many times he was released and slapped on his wrist? How many more children were going to be hurt? How many more children's lives were going to be taken? They wouldn't stop him. He needed to be stopped. And I am sure you are still wondering who and why this murder of Matteo Condalucci took place. But before we get into that, we dive deeper into the progression of Amanda's life with her father. And if you do not want to hear detailed descriptions of sexual abuse against children, I would advise to skip this next clip. I was about six or seven years old. Um, it would make me take baths with him. He would... He would lay me on his stomach and he would touch himself and rub himself against me, my privates. Um, as I got older, he would change things. He would start to touch me. He would penetrate me. He would use it as punishments when I was older. He would give me choices. Uh, you could be grounded and I could take your cell phone away or you could have sex with me. And I would say, I take my cell phone, I want to be grounded. And he would say, well, too late, I made the decision for you. No, you gave me a decision, I made my choice. Well, that's not the one I wanted you to choose, so I'm making the choice for you. When I got a cell phone, he would call on my cell phone and leave voicemails saying, oh, I'll never make you do that again. Um, and then a day or two later, he would turn around and make me do it again. And he'd be like, oh, well, what I meant was I wouldn't make you give me oral. Um, you know, he, he would change it. And then the more I started fighting back, trying to protect myself, the more violent he became. One of my aunties, she told me she knew what my dad was doing, but she said the reason why she never said or did anything was because that was her baby brother and she loved him and she will always stand by his side. She said she loved me too and I'm her niece, but that's her baby brother and she will always take his side. I lost faith, not only in my family, but the world in general when she found out that I was having him cremated. She asked me if she could have his ashes. And I said, yeah, you want him? Come and get him. And I sent him off with her. There was no help ever. I had to live through this. I had to live with a real life monster. According to victimsofcrime.org, Children who do not live with both parents, as well as children living in homes with divorce or domestic violence, have a higher risk of being sexually abused by a parent. And this was the case for Amanda. 
They were divorced when I was two. Um, long story short, my mom took me and our two, my two older brothers, because my dad was so violent and abusive. She, she took us, and when they went to court, the judge made my mom give us back to him because they called it kidnapping, even though he was abusive and there was all kinds of charges and stuff on file. And she tried so hard, but the court gave my dad custody. The only one of us three who got to go with my mom was my oldest brother, Mateo. One night after raping me, he asked me why I was so angry with him. And I said, I hate you. I said, I wish you were dead and I want to go live with my mom. He said, you want to go live with your mom? Fine. And then when I asked him when he was going to get me my airplane ticket, he said he wasn't. He said, you will never see your mom. You will never live with your mom. I couldn't even talk to my mom. He would sit right next to me and make me put the phone on speakerphone. And if she asked a question or said something that he didn't like, he would take the phone from me and he would hang up on her and change the number. Mateo feels unstoppable. With the law on his side and also his special treatment from the ATF and the DEA, it seemed like he could get away with anything. He was also an undercover snitch for the DEA. So he always got a little help from them. They needed him to do their dirty work and he needed to keep me away from my mom. They paid him to get information on the one percenter biker clubs and in exchange they would pay him and when he had we had to be relocated they would relocate us they would get us hut houses they would get us in them there's numerous occasions i was i was his get out of jail free card get out of trouble card he tried it in florida he had, we had moved back to Florida after we weren't supposed to move back to Florida. And one of the biker gangs found out that we were there and he tried to give me to him. I remember him staring at me. I remember his eyes. I remember the fear that ran through my veins. I remember feeling my skin boil. I remember, I remember the cops showing up. I remember my friends rushing me out of the bar. I remember we speeding all the way back to my house, packing my clothes and leaving. I remember him trying to tell him, just take my daughter, just take my daughter, just take my daughter, please don't hurt me, please don't hurt me, take my daughter. Amanda was not Mateo's only victim. While living in Florida, Mateo sexually assaulted a young boy. The boy's mother was a woman by the name of Laura Smith. Now, Laura created a Facebook page after the death of her son, warning the public of the danger that was Mateo Condolucci. Laura's son died of a fentanyl overdose, and she blames the drug addiction on the sexual abuse he suffered as a child. And according to national statistics... Men who have experienced childhood sex abuse are at much greater risk for serious mental health problems, including symptoms of post-traumatic stress and depression, alcoholism and drug abuse, suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts, 
problems in intimate relationships, and underachieving at school and work. So Laura and her son, I remember them vaguely, but I remember them. I actually slept on the hall from her son. I, I remember seeing this little blonde boy bouncing through my hallways. We would run together and we'd play together. And I remembered this brunette woman. I could never remember her face. And then over the years, I was hearing about my dad's sexual assault charge against him. And as I got older, I started putting things in pieces. I started putting them together. It was, it was a puzzle. It just came to me. And then I realized that that was the boy that my dad had molested. Um, I didn't see it happen. I remember the night that it happened. I remember, I remember seeing him go to the bathroom. I don't remember him coming out. I remember seeing him go to the bathroom. On his way to the bathroom, I remember seeing my dad coming out of his room. I remember seeing him adjusting himself. I believe Laura said I was about five years old when that happened. Um, I remember them getting into an argument and her leaving and taking him. And I just knew it was bad. I knew it was all bad. And I do wholeheartedly believe that what my father did to him, I believe it, it did cause him to start doing drugs. I believe that's, like I said earlier, there's, we're left with a dark spot in our heart and soul. Some of us can patch over it and, and set it aside and try to make the best, I guess, out of a bad situation and others can't. I do believe that his death was caused by my father. Um, I do. And I feel so bad for Laura. And I talk to her every day now. And she's so kind. And she's part of the reason I'm speaking to you right now. She's a lot of the reason. I remember, I remember the day she left. I knew once she left, life was going to get rough. The only time life was semi-decent was when there was a woman in his life. But that woman was usually always a woman who needed help or who was in a bad situation and had a child. They were, they were bullseyes. They were bullseyes for him, targets. And he would zero in on him. And he would make friends like no other. And those were the only times I was somewhat safe, was when somebody else was the target. Like a lot of victims of abuse, Amanda had a hard time dealing with relationships. The key to her happiness was to find people who could help break down her walls. I tried to cut my wrists. And my ex found me. He bandaged me back up. And we talked. 
we talked for a long, a long time. It was a process. It was a very long, painful process. I didn't understand how important my life really was. I figured that since my dad treated me like a piece of trash, that that's what it was. I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel like I belonged on this earth. And then I have two really, really amazing female friends in my life. One of them has been in my life since I was 13. I had them to help me. I would call them. I would hide in the bathroom, in the closet, and I would call them and I would talk to them. I found two people that I could talk to, and it wasn't easy. I have, I have blocks and guards up. I've got walls built to the clouds. But they showed me how much they really cared about me. They proved it to me by being there, by showing me that I was important. And then my husband came along. And he made me feel so beautiful. He still does every day. He, uh, he let me be me. He gave me my space and my time. He let me come to him and explain to him why I was the way I was. And after that, if I got uncomfortable or I couldn't perform, it was okay. It was okay. He was okay with it. If you need somebody to talk to, somebody who can relate, I am here. I am living proof. Therapists and, and counselors, they're not always the best decision. The hardest thing for a victim of molestation and rape to do is to talk to somebody who has absolutely no experience, no true understanding of what it's like to be raped or molested. Amanda did believe that if her father was still alive, that he would have never stopped abusing children. I found paperwork in my dad's house when I was packing it. He was looking up in other states the, the similarities to cities and distances from school and whether or not he had to reg register as a sex offender. He was staking out places that were like Omaha so he could move, so he could start fresh. I found children's clothing in his house when I was packing his house and I found little boy's pants, khaki pants. They weren't new. They had stains on the knees like they had been playing in the yard or something. I found little girl's blouses. I found a pair of little girl's panties. Panties. No, I don't think he was going to stop. No, I know he wasn't going to stop. Now, jumping back to May of 2020, 
An arrest was made for the murder of Mateo after a confession letter was sent to the news and media outlets, as well as the local police. This letter was sent via email from a man by the name of James Fairbanks. And here is a reading of that confession letter. While out apartment searching and checking the neighborhoods I wanted to live in, I stumbled across his sex offender registry info. I read where he had molested, raped two children, and been convicted twice, yet only served two years in prison for raping children. I seen his address was right around the block from where I was looking to move. I drove by and to my horror he was standing in his driveway pretending to wash his truck while staring at a group of children playing in the street. I watched him for a few minutes and just felt sick to my stomach. He just kept staring at them. The kids thankfully went inside. I went to drive away and noticed to my amazement this twice convicted sex offender had a playground set in his backyard, just a slide in a playhouse. I felt sick to my stomach. Having had my own experience with these types of predators, I knew the damage he would do to those kids. It agonized me for days. I couldn't sleep. I researched him more and more and found he had victimized dozens of kids in different states. One kid's mother had created a predator Facebook page about him trying to warn people about him. Her son had been assaulted by him when he was five and the damage he did led the poor guy to die of a drug overdose years later and his mom directly blamed that incident on him. I've worked with kids for years who have been victimized and I couldn't in good conscience allow him to do it to anyone else while I had the means to stop him. I'm willing to turn myself in even though I'm confident I wouldn't be caught because it's my own opinion that we need to fix this in our society. We cannot let this continue to happen to our children. They must be stopped. I know in this messed up judicial system that means I will face far more severe punishment for stopping him than he did for raping kids. But I could no longer do nothing. If you need proof the gun was a 9mm, the front door was left open, and the TV was on. I will turn myself in as soon as I see this has been released. James Fairbank was a local man who worked as a school teacher. He was recently divorced and was looking for new homes in the area that would be safe for his family as well as his grandchildren. James did check the sex offender registry, and that's when he stumbled upon Mateo's address. When James drove around this neighborhood, he did notice Mateo watching neighborhood kids playing in the street. This is when James decided to take matters into his own hands, sparking a debate. Was James a hero or a monster? All right, uh, this is a difficult one. Have you ever seen a confession like this, though? He, he writes the letter out explaining everything. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, let me start with you. I've never personally dealt with anything like this, Vinny, but, you know, you, you get kind of caught in the middle there because no law enforcement officer would ever condone vigilantism, but uh, you, you have to empathize somewhat with Mr. Fairbanks, although he did commit a crime. Uh, this person that he killed uh, was someone who was a very, very bad person who probably was not going to stop what he was doing, apparently. But uh, so it is a, it puts you in a precarious position as, a, as an officer. You have to do your job. You have to make the arrest. But it doesn't mean that you can't feel some way, uh, some form of empathy for the situation. Sergeant, you ever come across one like this? 
No, personally, I have not. But I, um, I have a problem with this uh, gentleman taking the law into his own hands. Listen, he's a horrible individual and he did some awful things, but we can't speak to what's in his head or what he might do. And so what we need to do is look at changing the laws that would allow someone who can't be re rehabilitated, who has a proclivity to uh, molesting and abusing children in the way that he did, lock him up and leave him in jail forever. Because where do we draw the line? If it's okay to kill somebody who molested children and is looking at them, what do we do about someone who rapes women and may be found oogling at a woman? Do we kill him too? Because what, I can't sleep at night be on, the, on the off chance that he may rape again, break into a house, steal a Snickers from a grocery store. Where do you draw the line? You don't get to take the law into your own hands. Lieutenant Colonel, how do you think Fairbanks uh, is being treated in jail? Probably well. Uh, you know, uh, that's one of those situations. Uh, unfortunately, in, in jail, there's a different type of society uh, going on behind those walls. And uh, if you hurt a police officer, you're, you're, you're treated well. If you hurt an individual that uh, that uh, kills or maims children or rapes women, uh, you're not going to be treated well. So uh, Mr. Condolucci would have a rough time in prison, whereas Mr. Fairbanks probably would not. James's ex-wife, a woman by the name of Kelly Tamayo, also spoke out after the murder. She claims that James, as she refers to as Jim, is a good man. Jim contacted me yesterday afternoon to tell me that he had killed a child molester and he said uh, he was in preparation of turning himself in and that he had sent an email already to the police department. He was ready to take full responsibility for it. He knew what the consequences were. I just pray for understanding and leniency when it comes to his consequences because He's a good man, and he was acting out of the goodness of his heart to protect people. With tensions high on each side, Laura Smith, the mother we spoke about earlier, is in support for James Fairbank, and even created a new Facebook page rallying to support his release. The public debate continues as to whether or not James Fairbanks should be held responsible for killing twice-convicted sex offender Matteo Condolucci. Condolucci was found dead in his home on May 16th. Fairbanks allegedly alerted the media and police that he did it because he knew of his past and didn't want him to hurt any other children. Condolucci served one and a half years of a five-year prison sentence for sexually assaulting a child in Sarpy County and got probation in Florida for similar charges. The mother of his Florida victim, Laura Smith, says people are reaching out to her about other incidents with Condolucci. It's been overwhelming, you know, and it's stirring up some... Um emotions of my own you know i had to go through two years of therapy just to learn how to cope with my son's death so now this it's been very difficult i absolutely am totally 100 percent against vigilante justice you know it struggled so many years every day almost three decades there wasn't a day that went by that i didn't think about what he was possibly doing not possibly. I knew in my heart he would be joined to other children and whose lives he would be destroying. Smith has changed the name of the Facebook group to Free James Fairbanks. She's supporting him in his efforts forward and thinks he needs mental help right now. So for me, my thing would have been he should not be in jail. 
at least not right then. He should have been brought to a hospital because now I feel like he's sitting in jail. And if it is PTSD, we could lose another life over this. You know, and I hate to see that happen. Smith says she's still trying to free James Fairbanks. This is a man who has two children. He's a good dad. He belongs home with his children. And it's that, to me right now, is the devastating part of all of this. But was Condolucci committing other crimes? Checking with Omaha police, a sexual assault allegation was reported in November of 2019. There were no others prior to that. A 2009 appeal to the Sarpy County Mental Health Board indicates that a state psychologist concluded Condolucci was a dangerous sex offender unable to control his criminal behavior once he was released from prison. On the other side of this debate, other sex offenders were worried that there would be a copycat killer and feared for their safety, adding that murder is not the answer. Some call the suspect a hero, while others believe he should stay in jail. Omaha police booked 43-year-old James Fairbanks for criminal homicide. Dr. Lisa Sample is a professor at UNO School of Criminology and Criminal Justice. She specializes in sex offender behavior and policies. The sex offender registry is a tool, and that tool in the hands of people who are not exactly mentally stable um, is, is just a, it's kind of a recipe for disaster. But she says cases like this are rare. Omaha police believe 43-year-old James Fairbanks gunned down Matteo Condolucci near 43rd and Pinckney. Condolucci was on the registry for sexually assaulting a teenage girl in 2006. Basically, you've made them sitting ducks for the mentally unhealthy. Sample tells me a lot of the state's registered offenders went through the Department of Corrections Sex Offender Treatment Program, which she says has a remarkable success rate. The longer people are on the sex offender registry and they go without a new crime, pretty much the longer they will live crime-free. Sample meets with members of Nebraskans Unafraid for her studies. It's a group of sex offenders who want to change the registry and prevent people from reoffending. They have dinner together every week. To have the tragedy of somebody murdered just because he's on the registry is um, a difficult thing. It's a little scary, especially for our community. Sample does not defend Fairbanks or Condolucci. She adds the sex offender registry is meant to protect all citizens, including sex offenders. I just don't think we want to live in a society where people are allowed to shoot and kill other people based on what they think might happen. The sex offender I spoke with says the state registry is meant for public awareness and safety. He says it's not a list of people to be attacked. When Jay first heard the motive behind Matteo Condolucci's death, he immediately feared for his family's safety. We're sitting ducks. Jay is a registered sex offender. He worries the homicide will encourage vigilante crimes. You don't go out there and take it into your own hands and murder or take the life of somebody else because you weren't happy with the judgment that was made. Jay makes it clear he did not know Condolucci and he's not defending him. Yes, he, he did some pretty rotten stuff. Yeah, granted, it was horrible, horrible stuff. <clears throat> but to say that he doesn't, he didn't deserve a second shot and he was trying to prove himself as, as a a godly man. Condolucci's son, Joseph, tells us his dad did change after prison, becoming a minister. I believe he was doing his, what, what he could to turn his life around, yeah. I mean, I mean who, who 
who's to say, you know, I mean, who's to say, you know, exactly what it takes to, you know, turn your life around from, from something like that. Jay calls on state senators to change Nebraska's sex offender registry to prevent something like this from happening again. The safety of which the registry was built on is no longer safe. It's no longer safe for the community. It's no longer safe for the family members of those that are registered. Jay argues the sex offender registry should be for law enforcement only. James still went to trial. He admits that he does regret murdering Condalucci, and he also claims he only went over there to warn him. James stated that things got out of hand and he had to use the rifle as self-defense. James Fairbanks, convicted of killing a sex offender and then later on told the media in a letter about it, was given a lofty sentence in Douglas County Court today. 40 to 70 years combined on two charges, including second-degree murder. James Fairbanks will at least be spending the next two decades in prison after the 40 to 70 year sentence Wednesday for the murder of Matteo Condolucci. Fairbanks is credited with over 400 days served, and with Nebraska good time laws, he could serve as little as 20 years. You know, over the next 20 years, we don't expect him to die in, in prison, so uh, he will be able to get out. He'll be able to hopefully see his grandkids. Uh, his kids will be, you know, later on in years, but. Um, he does have something to look forward to. He's got some hope. So, you know, if you ask Mr. Fairbanks, I think uh, he would say, yeah, I probably could have taken a better course of action than proceeding over to the guy's house and confronting him. The prosecutor said it showed Fairbanks, who argued self-defense, plan to confront and shoot Condolucci. He wanted publicity. He wanted to take uh, justice into his own hands, and that's what he did. The case split Condolucci's kids with his daughter, Amanda Henry, saying she was raped by her father and wanted a light sentence. Wish the sentencing was a little less. Fairbanks also argued that he confronted Condolucci because he saw a playset in the backyard. The victim's son, Joseph Condolucci, told the courtroom that that was not his dad's idea, saying he didn't put those there. He didn't ask to put those there. I put those there for my child. Condolucci's daughter says the justice system did not punish her father enough. I honestly think if punishments for pedophiles were harsher, um, longer terms, this wouldn't have happened. The deputy county attorney Brenda Beadle says Nebraska does have tough laws, and the sentence shows people should not take the law into their own hands. I mean, if you can imagine the slippery slope that would occur if we allowed citizens to start deciding who gets to live and who doesn't based on what they've done. While in jail, James did do an interview speaking further on his side of the story. I saw him, there was no mistaking him. I mean, he's a really large man, over six foot, over 300 pounds, um, standing there. And at first I thought he was washing his truck, but then I just noticed these a group of kids that were playing. I don't know if anybody noticed, but there was an empty house right next door and they were playing in the driveway of the empty house right next door. Uh, he was just kind of standing there staring at him and uh, pretending, in my opinion, to, to wash his truck. He had no soap, no water. He just had a rag. And the only time he even t really touched the rag to the truck was when one of the kids would turn and really stare at him. Or when a car would drive by, he would just start pretending to uh, wipe his truck down. And I mean, I was obviously in full-blown panic mode. I was just, oh my gosh, I can't believe what I'm watching right now. I just knew what he was, the way he was watching those kids and for the intensity and the, and the length. It wasn't, you know, you or I might see a group of kids playing and 
maybe take a second to remember what it was like to be that age and carefree and having fun and then go on doing what we're doing. That's not what he was doing. I knew uh, it was some, so I just kind of sat there for, I mean, it had to be close to 10 minutes, um, hoping that the kids would leave. I didn't want to leave until I made sure the kids left. And uh, sure enough, they ended up leaving. And the second they left, he threw the rag in the back of the truck and went walking inside. Um, and I just couldn't believe what I had what I had witnessed. And I went home, uh, wondering who to call, what to do, you know, who, who, who. And then, you know, I'm, I'm realizing as I'm thinking these things, there is nobody to call. What am I going to call and say, I saw a man staring at kids? Even though he is a twice convicted sex offender, I know there's no technical rules about that but as I, oh, as I went to leave um, I was driving off and then I saw the playground in his backyard and that just absolutely kind of blew my mind that a twice convicted sex offender who I know had, couldn't have any contact with children it's on his uh, registry information has a huge playground in his backyard with no fence and I mean I just went home and I felt sick honestly uh, that night all night my stomach was in knots I couldn't couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, I, I was just thinking about it. Um, as I mentioned in the email, I've worked with kids my entire life. Um, I've had personal experience. Uh, when I was a kid, I personally wasn't uh, molested, but a loved one was, and I don't want to get into that too much because they have chosen not to speak about it, so I don't want to uh, speak for them. But I witnessed it, and I, I thought about going back. Actually, I went back a couple times to look for the kids and go and knock on their, see if I could find out which houses were theirs and knock on their doors and tell their parents, you know, might want to have this guy, not these kids not as close to this guy. And this is what I saw. I couldn't make that connection over a couple of days. I couldn't figure out which kids were in which houses. Um, and finally, it just dawned on me, like, I felt like I need to do something. This has to stop. Oh, yeah, and as I'm doing at home for those couple of days, I'm researching this specific guy, and I'm reading about his crimes, the five-year-old boy that he molested in Florida that grew up addicted to drugs, which, I, like I said, I'd seen a hundred times before his mom was talking about, you know, the pain he endured uh, lasted the rest of his life until he overdosed on drugs. I, I read about uh, the, the, the 13-year-old, I didn't read any of the details, but the 13-year-old in Papillion that he had sexually assaulted. At the time, I knew that if there were two convictions, there were dozens more. I mean, that's just the statistics um, with these with these guys. And sure enough, since um, he died, uh, dozens more have literally come out and contacted our family and then and talked about their stories and want to express what they went through. And um, very recent too. Not, I mean, within the last few months, victims of his have come forward and contacted us. And I already, I already knew that there would, had to be many, many more of you been convicted twice. I didn't feel like there was, like I said, anybody I could turn to with all this, so I decided I was going to go over there and uh, threaten him, basically, was my intention, to go over there and let him know, look, I know who you are. I watched you the other day. If you touch any of these kids, you're not going to get another slap on the wrist from the, from the uh, justice system. I'm coming next time. Next time you touch one of these kids, you're going to deal with me. I brought a gun, uh, as I said, obviously. Um, I, I, I went, approached his house. He opened the door. He saw me coming. Um, I pulled the gun out. I uh, told him to back up, and I went to uh, 
have the conversation or basically just to tell them exactly what I just said. Look, you touch those kids, there's going to be some punishment that's going to come and it's not going to be another probation or, or slap on the wrist or anything like that. Uh, as soon as I started talking, he came forward um, and immediately again, he was a six foot, 300 plus pound man. I knew I had to shoot or uh, who knows what was going to happen again. I mean, I'm willing to take responsibility for the fact that I went over to his house with a gun to threaten him and what happened and what transpired transpired. Uh, my intention was not to walk over there and just shoot him, period. Whatever side of the fence you are on, two things can be taken away from this story. We need stronger laws punishing these abusers. This cycle needs to end, and the only way we can do that is by changing laws. We also need to be more cautious and protect our children. We need to learn the warning signs, and we need to stay educated. I think that the laws and penalties for pedophiles needs to be much more stiff. I think when the sex offenders commit crimes, I think they should get the full sentence, the full max. Not give them five years and then let them out halfway through because of good behavior. I think they should bring castration back. I do. And I think that would be the greatest law. To have to live with those urges and not being able to fulfill them in any way, that's um, that's a pretty good way to take a pedophile's soul. I can't say it with any more passion then do your research. That's what the registry is for. Know who you are allowing your children around. If your children has been with somebody for the day and they're acting strange, um, they're not themselves, talk to them. Let them know, no matter what it is, you can tell me, tell mommy, tell daddy, you can tell them. And you need to protect them. You need to protect them. If they say this is what happened, you need to believe your child. I always tell them, you know, if somebody ever says or does anything to you, you come and you tell mommy or daddy, you tell us right then and there. Mommy and daddy will handle it. We'll take care of it. You know, I've had um, the doctors at the children's hospital, I've had them talk to my children and explain to them that nobody is allowed to touch your private areas. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys have an amazing week and I will see you guys next time.